Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Chat Autism. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Chat Autism. I'm your host, Julie Obradovic, and I'm so excited to be back with you guys again today. We have a really special guest with us, and um, I think she's going to be incredibly informational for all of us who are interested in learning how to not only break the sugar cravings in our children, but also perhaps help us all who are dealing with that as adults. So today's guest is a celebrity nutrition expert. She helps clients break free from those food intolerances and crush her sugar, crush the sugar cravings. She's the author of four New York Times bestsellers, including her book, The Sugar Impact Diet. And she's also a frequent blogger at the Huffington Post, Mind Body Green, and many other outlets. She's also been a very popular guest on television and radio and magazines, so we're very, very excited to have her with us today. If everyone could please welcome JJ Virgin. Hey. How are you? Thank you so much I for joining good. us today. Thank you. Excellent. My pleasure. Well, you have quite an impressive resume. <laughs> I was so fascinated looking through all of the things that you've been able to do and accomplish and your personal story and journey, and I could talk to you forever. Um, but as you were, were informed, you know, what we're really going to try to attempt to get through today is to try to give some parents who are treating children on the autism spectrum, and I'm a mom myself to a 15-year-old daughter on the autism spectrum, who are really looking at that nutritional component as a pillar of being able to help our kids maximize their potential and ultimately hopefully be able to recover from the diagnosis. So we've got a ton of really great questions, but by all means, you know, if it takes us in a different direction or you have something special to add, you know, please just share with us your wisdom because this is really special for us. Um, All righty. And, you know, I just have to say, isn't it, isn't it, crazy that that it takes being on the spectrum to say that this is important i mean it just should be like every you know i'm listening going right and um right (laughs) this just needs to be the way we are yes you have you know in my case um my daughter on the spectrum is not my oldest you know so being as involved and, and, and detailed and um, precise about what it was I was going to feed her and how and when and why and just being so mindful of food for the first time in my life really unfortunately had to come at that experience. However, you know, there's always the blessings and everything and it's been life-changing. So, you know, there's the good that comes out of it, but you're exactly right. It's unfortunate sometimes that's what it takes to wake us up a little bit. Yes. So, so um, let's dive let's in. Get- Okay, so, you know, going back, I feel like a, a, a mom that's been around the block for a while. I'm, I'm old school. Initially, the diet was all about being gluten-free and casein-free, right? And that was, you know, dairy-free, wheat-free, all kinds of stuff. And I, I believe that still is a, a large component for a lot of kids. But we've really seen a big focus on sugar in the last Yay. year or two. And this is across <laughs> the board, right? And um, so I know that you wrote your book, The Sugar Impact Diet. What is it about sugar that makes it such a big issue, not just for our kids? I mean, this is for everyone, but in particular for our kids as well. Yeah, and and I come from having, um, I have two boys, and one boy uh, had bipolar disorder, and all, you know they they gave him every single diagnosis on the block. You know, I finally was like, okay, I'm I'm taking this into my own hands. And so, you know, we did gluten free, dairy free, and I, I saw early on what a trigger sugar was for him. 
Sugar mm-hmm. is going to create problems in a variety of different ways. Um, one of the big things it's going to do is mess up your gut microbiome, and let's face it, it's already messed up enough. So one of the challenges with sugar is that it'll feed the bad bacteria in your gut and make your gut microbiome, the bacteria, even more out of balance. So that's super problematic. But also, sugar is a drug. It is the number one drug we have of choice everywhere, and it creates you know, major problems with neuroexcitatory problems, and you can see it. I still remember getting a call from school to come pick up my son because he'd gotten into a pound bag of M&Ms because they gave them to him when he won a contest. <laughs> as a reward. Is, <laughs> right. As a reward. He's in first grade, and they give him a pound bag of M&Ms. I'm like, what did you think would happen? <laughs> you know? right. right, right, right. So right. you're going to yes. see that. And and I know with my son now, my son was um, the victim of a hit and run and a major traumatic brain injury four and a half years ago. So we're mm. coming out of that and we'll always be coming out of that. And one of his biggest triggers is blood sugar stability. And I've got to believe that for anyone with any kind of sensitive biochemistry, blood sugar stability is one of the key most important things you can do. And so that means that you have to get very clear on, you know, all carbohydrates turn to sugar except for fiber, right? So you have to get very clear on the speed at which that happens and how to dial in protein, fat, and carbs so you keep that blood sugar stability so that's not a trigger. Because I would bet you that if we've been tracking this with my son, and the minute his blood sugar gets unstable, it's a trigger. Okay. And, you know, and even for myself personally, when I've tried to go sugar-free for a little while, I've really struggled. I mean, like you said, it is a drug. I've gone cold turkey, and we can delve into this a little bit later, but I had a die-off reaction, um, which Mm. was awful. It felt like I had the flu. I mean, it really is something to try to take yourself off of sugar to see how seriously it is impacting you even when you don't think you have a problem. Well, but with my and daughter, I don't believe oh, go ahead. in going cold turkey, by the way, at all. I think that's yeah, one that of the things that will a set us up. <laughs> As you found that out. That was probably a mistake in hindsight, <laughs> definitely. Um, but with my daughter, and this was a follow-up question, there's a mom who wrote in and said that she's got a 13-year-old. My daughter's 15. Uh, she's made you know great progress with the diet and supplements, but they're having a really hard time with candida, with the yeast, and they can't seem to kill it. And, you know, I believe from my own experience that sugar has a lot to do with that. Is there interplay? Am I right about that between the sugar and the candida? Oh, sure. It's going to feed it. Um, okay. However, I always want to look deeper. So so there's a couple things with sugar. Is We've been looking at sugar all wrong. Yes, it's sneaking into everything. But I think, you know, when you look at it, all carbohydrates are going to turn to sugar. And we're not saying don't eat carbs. We're saying let's okay. watch out for things that quickly turn into sugar or a sugar to start with, and then let's achieve balance when you eat so that you have a slow blood sugar response. But then if you've got chronic candida, you've got to look at, okay, why is that happening? And what are you got eating it. that could be feeding it, right? So we've okay. got to make sure that we're not feeding it anymore. But one of the things I've seen, too, with chronic candida is that quite often when you can't kill it, you need to go to what else is going on. And I've seen chronic candida go hand-in-hand with heavy metal toxicity. Right. Um, And it it almost makes me wonder if your body's trying to protect yourself from that with the candida. Interesting. You know? So that's why I think, you know, if something's super hard to kill off, my next – my next place I go to is why, what else is going on? Is this something my body is doing for a reason to protect me in some way? And do I need to dig deeper, right? Okay. You should be able to get rid of it. Or, you know, is your lifestyle one that 
you're under chronic stress and you're eating you're eating crappy stuff, you know, a high sugar diet that's just letting it come back and it's your weak point. Right. Right. And you know, lots of antibiotics in our case as well was um kind of what started that that process yeah. down there. So that's something that we always have to look out for that in in the instance which has been thankfully much more rare, but in the instance that she does need to have an antibiotic, I can almost guarantee you know that that is going to be a, a flare up for her of candida. So the yeast well, then you'd want to always is, is make not fun. sure that would just be someone. And and I think with a lot of um, kids, and I know this is one I've done with my son. It's like I wish I'd known then. You know, I put my son on that terrible pink antibiotic when he was a baby, and mm-hmm. you know, you disrupt their gut flora for life. And so then you've got to think about what do I need to do to always maintain a good microbiome balance forever. And if that's your sense of spot, then then probiotics just need to be a way of life, you know? Okay. Do you have any recommendations for um, for probiotics or just a general one or naturally perhaps from, you know, from, from some yogurts or all three? Or what do you advise for that? Well, there's this really interesting stuff now in the whole probiotic realm. And there's a couple things there. One, of course, you want to make sure that before you give someone probiotics or fermented foods, that you've killed off the bad bacteria in the gut. Because if you've got a lot of bad bacteria in the gut and you give probiotics, you give resistant starch, you give um, some of the different things like that, you can actually feed them. So that's the first thing is oh, that you want to make sure that okay. someone doesn't have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. How you'll know if that's a problem is you give them probiotics and they start getting super bloated. <laughs> oh, interesting. Usually that person who gets more bloated as the day goes on whether they eat or not. And then you give them probiotics or you give them fermented foods, and boom, they get really bloated and gassy. That's a sign of okay. small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. If that's the case, one of the things you want to look at first is something called a bacteriophage. And these things are the coolest things ever. They are prebiotics, but what they really are is they're, they're like nature's antibiotics that can go in there and kill off the bad bacteria. So nice. I actually, yeah, they're they're so cool. They're like the coolest thing ever, these bacteriophages. And they help your good bacteria take hold, but they also are these benevolent viruses that go and kill off the bad bacteria. I mean, they should be just kind of standard course. So yeah. I, um, what I use is a, is a probiotic. It's called microbiome balance. And it's a probiotic and... Um, a, a phage product, so I put them together. If someone's got SIBO, I would say just start with a phage type of product. But then once you don't, I think you do the balance of both of them because the the um, bacteriophages actually help the probiotics take hold because they act as a prebiotic while killing off the bad bacteria, which is a constant process. You're always going to be fighting that. And then as far as probiotics go, um, you want to make sure with the probiotic that you're using something that can has a delivery system so that it can survive the stomach acid and get delivered to the intestinal tract. So that's super important, and that it's got a ton of organisms, so like billions of organisms, and that it's a blend. It's not just one type of probiotic, but you have a blend of different probiotics. So um, I actually have my own because that's I went searching for it because I knew it was such a big issue. And you know the biggest thing I deal with in both my programs is leaky gut and gut microbiome mm-hmm. issues. So, uh, but those are the key things that you would look for in a probiotic. Awesome. Okay. Well, you kind of led me right into my next question. We had a mom named Sandy who wrote in and said, you know, we've done lab testing, and we've just discovered that my daughter has 
leaky gut? Do you have any suggestions when you just get that and you're just processing even what that means? Where do you go from there as a parent? Yeah, and you know what? Probably most, first of all, most people have leaky gut at this gluten. Um, gluten's a big one. You've got to really watch gluten because gluten actually releases a protein, uh, triggers a release of a protein in the small intestine called zonulin that creates leaky gut. So fructose is another one. Fructose can make leaky your gut leaky. It actually pokes holes in the small intestine. So gluten and fructose need to be out because they're very problematic mm. for the for the small intestine. Um, and then you want to look at healing it. So when you have leaky gut, what happens is your your small intestine becomes more permeable than it should be. And then as you're eating, foods that that shouldn't be passing out into circulation do, your body sees them as foreign invaders, launches an immune attack against them. So the first thing is to pull out, and this is what the virgin diet's all about, to pull out the most common offenders that seem to trigger these reactions the most, and they are gluten, dairy, soy, corn, eggs, peanuts. Um, and then, of course, I had to put sugar in there because it's problematic for gut microbiome. But it's really gluten, dairy, and soy, and eggs tend to be the highest right. um, reactive foods for this. Then you want to go and you really need to heal the um, small intestine. Now, the number one single best thing you can use to do that is glutamine. And okay. glutamine at a pretty high level. Like if someone is 100 pounds or more, 3 grams to 10 grams a day of glutamine. It's kind of a dosage okay. for it. Um, other things that I love, N-acetylglucosamine, diglycerized licorice, aloe, marshmallow. So I actually use a combination product that's got a bunch of really cool gut-soothing and healing nutrients. And then I'm, if it's, depending on the severity, I'll add extra glutamine in too. Okay. All right. Excellent. So kind of with the fructose piece, you know, and I remember feeling this, this stress, when we first started the diet, it was as well. It was like, well, what can my child eat? Because you know, we mm-hmm. love fruit, right? That's the one thing that she would absolutely love to eat, which would be fruit. And but we know that, like you just said, with fructose as well as um, glycemic, high glycemic, low glycemic fruits, are there some fruits that they can still have? Should we not be having fruits? If so, which ones? How do how does that play into all of this? So it really depends on how bad the. Um, <clears throat> how bad either small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is or how bad leaky gut is. But for the most part, yes, or candida. If those things are all, you know, not in a big flare, then fruit absolutely has a healthy place in the diet. Here's what you don't want. You don't want to unwrap the fruit and just be left with the sugar, i.e. juice. So juice is out and dried fruit, which is basically, you know, or concentrates where you're just concentrating all the sugar are out. You want to eat fresh whole fruit And you want to go with fruits that are, you know, lower in the glycemic index and lower in fructose. So berries are always going to be the best, just like we've always heard. You know, berries berries are the best because they're darkly colored. They've got lots of antioxidants. So that's always going to be my first choice. But, you know, pretty much all fruit, the tropical fruits are a little higher in sugar, but it's really more about the total amount, like one to two servings of fruit a day really should be it. Okay. All right, so one to two servings. Taking notes here. <laughs> I'm always. It never ends. You know, you think initially, I'll do this for a couple of years, and then my kid will be great, and everything will be fine. And then you realize it's how a we should years all in. be. I no, mean, it's, it's really, how we <laughs> yeah. should all be eating. You just got exactly. into it one avenue, and it's like, you know, depending on what it is, whatever trigger it is, people, you know, hopefully will come to this because uh, the biggest challenge I see out there in the world of nutrition and health is that it. It's 
been made really complicated and there's a lot of controversy. And when you really come down to it, it's really quite simple. And it's not right. as complicated as anyone's made it. It's like eat whole food, eat as close to nature as possible, you know. Right, right? avoid toxins. Sicker, <laughs> right. Yeah, the sicker you are, the further back in your ancestry you need to go. So if you're really dealing with health issues, you know, try to get try to get to more whole paleo types of eating because it's going to be better for you. You're going to have less issues. Now, I kind of am paleo plus. I think we can have some different grains, although I pretty much limit it to wild rice and quinoa. And um, I think squashes and sweet potatoes are better choices there. But I do think legumes are a great food. So that's where I differentiate okay. a little bit from the paleo community. Got it. Got it. So you mentioned antioxidants regarding um, berries. And we know that these are really important for a lot of our kids, particularly because they're dealing from oxidative stress. They have all kinds of issues with their immune system. Uh, do you have a recommendation for which antioxidants that we should be able to, or that we should give our children that might have immune issues or mitochondria issues, and, et cetera? Um, and what would be the best way to go about introducing them? Would it be a supplement or just more berries? What would you think? What do you um, it's what do you think? It's going to be hard to get what you really need from food alone. Um, okay, that's going to be the challenge. So you know, here's the thing: it all starts with food, like supplements, supplements. So we should start with food, and then we should supplement that with other stuff. Okay. Now, um, when you think about antioxidants, you want to really think of getting a broad spectrum of them because each one of them can do different things. A, a, a group of antioxidants is almost like a, a rock a rock group, right? You've got the guitar player, the bass player, the drummer, the singer. They all do different things. So if you leave one out, it doesn't really work as well. So you want to get a group of them. And, you know, obviously you start with a good vitamin mineral a formula that gives you the basics, but then I think the, the, the most exciting are a lot of what we get from plants, things like um, curcumin and resveratrol and green tea extract. Uh, those types of things to me are some of the most exciting things out there. You know, again, I would still start with food. And I would start with the basic multivitamin mineral, and then I would add in a, a comprehensive blend antioxidant. And I, the things that I think are most exciting in the antioxidant world, especially for our, our kids here, would be N-acetylcysteine, alpha-lipoic acid. NAC, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, NAC, yeah, alpha-lipoic acid, um, turmeric, curcumin, and um, grape seed extract or resveratrol, and green tea extract, um, and then maybe some tocotrienols. Like if I had to pick, those would probably be some of the ones I'd go, you know, these are these are great. So look for a really high-quality antioxidant blend um, that's got a broad spectrum of things. Okay. And if, if you've right. got someone who cannot do pills, you know, a lot of these companies out there have like, um, you know, I use a lot of products from Designs for Health and um, – They've got something called paleo reds and paleo greens. So if you can't get pills in, you know, cause sometimes little or younger kids you can't, you can do their reds and greens right. and sneak them in, right? Okay. Yeah. We're, we're always being creative as parents, right? <laughs> we all have our little tricks to get those to get those into our kids who are sometimes not as cooperative as we would like them to be. All right. So you mentioned this a little bit earlier as well. Grains. No grains. Some say they're some doctors say they're healthy. Others say not not a good choice for us. I think you just mentioned um, 
quinoa and what was the other one that you you had yeah, said? Wild rice. Um, wild rice is a okay. grass, not a grain. It's not going to be a better choice here. Like this would not be any anyone with any type of gut issues. I'm not going to pick grains and legumes as a top choice, just because okay. sometimes the lectins can create some problems. So you've got some anti nutrients there, phytates that can block mineral absorption and then um, lectins that can cause some hormonal resistance and issues with gut. So it really, again, depends on the severity, right? Um, And so I'd start without using them, and I'd use more for my starchier carbs. I'd do things like sweet potatoes and yams and pumpkin and squash, um, and then check in and see, give it a shot with quinoa and wild rice. I like these because they're seeds and grasses rather than straight grains and see how they do. You know, and the nice thing about things is you soak them, you rinse them so that you do get rid of some of it, some of the answers. Got it. Got it. Um, So this is kind of a personal question, but this was also something somebody asked about was that um, my child is very sensitive to sulfur foods, ridiculously sensitive to sulfur foods, egg terrible broccoli terrible what's going on there why is that happening to some of our kids they simply can't process those sulfur-based foods you know you got me i would have to look at their genotypes to see if they've got something going on with that you know their biochemistry that would seem like the issue don't know. Yeah, really it, not my it thought that, that area. You know, maybe it was a toxicity thing. I'm not really sure. Just always like well, to pick generally, people's brains on that. Remember, sulfur is super important for de- the detox pathways. And so, right. you know, it's one of those things like when you want to help someone detoxify, what do you do? It's onions and broccoli and cabbage. It's all of the sulfur-rich right. foods are going to be are critical for detox. So, you know, you right. look at that and go, well, if you can't handle that, that's even more disconcerting for detoxification because you're missing a key amino acid to be able to go down the, the you know, pathways to detoxify. So I don't, you know, I don't know so what that could be. It might just be an avenue to look um, into something deeper. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So that and there was another mom named Jackie. She wrote in and uh, along that line of, of detoxing, she said that she has a daughter that tested high for lead and she said she's come a really long way with biomed, but she's a little nervous about a heavy metal detox. She's heard that it could bring back old symptoms. How do you feel about a heavy metal detox that's non invasive and do you have any advice for that that shows good results? Well, I mean, here's the challenge. It's not safe in your body. You know, it's not like it's safe right. staying in you, and you can still personally would rather control in a controlled situation get it gone because it's always better out than in. And right. so that's the challenge. Is it's not like you know, yes, we're going to sequester it hopefully in our fat, but a lot of times it'll sit in your neural tissue and it'll create problems. So it's not sitting there benign, right? Right. It can disrupt hormones, right. etc. So. What you need to do is whenever you're doing detoxification, obviously do it in a very managed way. The thing with detoxification is it works, so you have to make sure you're doing it carefully. I love saunas. I have a sunlight and um, far medium and near infrared sauna because it can help get the toxins out of the fat, which is super hard okay. to do. Um, I, did, I had issues with um, high mercury, so I did IV chelation. And I just did rounds of that and then was replacing minerals. And then, you know, it's also eating a diet that's rich in foods that can help you detoxify, like cilantro and chlorella, lots of deep green leafies, lots of fiber, doing Epsom salts baths, 
you know, dry brushing. But it's really something that we all need to be aware of on a regular basis. And, you know, they talk about doing these cleanses, and it's like, well, we should be cleansing every day. That's the reality. Right. Because we're being hit with right. toxins every day. And if you're not a good detoxifier, yikes, even more important. Right, right. And I think a lot of people are nervous because they hear the stories, oh, your your child's going to regress and get worse and so forth. But I like what you said, which is it's in there. It's causing problems. It's not supposed to be in there. You know, find a good path. Find people that can help you um, and maybe, you know, work out a system where you can start to remove that stuff from the body because yeah. it's not going to go anywhere or do anything good. <laughs> Well, I think to my okay. son, you know, my son, my son has to have another surgery. He's had, I don't know how many surgeries now from this car accident. So mm. he's walking fine now. He's going to have to have surgery. He's going to have to be in a cast and be on an e-scooter. He's going to regress till he gets better. Yes, if right. someone's got to get the heavy metals out, they may feel crappy as they're going through this. But the, it's a process you have to go through. Otherwise, you've got a low, low-lying problem the whole time. Right, and it's kind of like trying to take water out of a leaky boat. You know, you're just you're exactly. constantly trying to fix something that's never going to be permanently restored. All right, more fun stuff. Uh, parasites. <laughs> Lots of kids are dealing with parasites in their guts, and um, Angela wrote in and just said they won't stop. They keep coming back. Do you have any idea what could be causing this? No clue. Totally not my area. It's funny. I just put okay. on a big All right. health event. Sorry, and we have people like <laughs> wanting to go to parasites. I'm like, it's not my area. I don't know. Um, Got it. Yeah, can't. Got nothing it. brilliant to add there, unfortunately. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's totally fine. So um, another one, another mom wrote in, Christina, and she said, we haven't had any testing done, but autoimmune diseases do run in our family. How do I know? Is there anything I could know ahead of time that my child is at risk for having an autoimmune disorder? Is there a test or can I go off of symptoms or what recommendations can I, you know, do you have for her to, to be able to look out for that? So I think we should actually all treat ourselves as if we are genetically at risk for autoimmune disease. If you look at this, it is the biggest umbrella of disease worldwide. Um, and the more wow. that we start to dive into um, autoimmune disease, the more we're realizing like almost everything in some way. It's like it's, it's so many diseases are actually autoimmune diseases. What can be triggers for autoimmune diseases? Well, gluten, dairy, and soy can be triggers for autoimmune diseases, low vitamin D. So I look at it and go, optimize your vitamin D, be gluten, dairy, and soy-free. So those, you don't have those issues because you don't want to flip any of these switches. Now, can you test for autoimmune levels? Yes, but if you haven't flipped the switches, it might be sitting there and you haven't triggered it yet and you don't have it. So right. that's why I say, you know, you might be someone who has a higher propensity to cancer, but you don't have the cancer cells yet, but you, you are that person. So why don't we treat ourselves like right now as if we are at a risk for diabetes, cancer, heart disease, and autoimmune disease and live that way so we don't get them. That sounds, that's very practical advice. <laughs> right? I, mean, I don't want to be the, neg- the probably... negative Nelly here, but... <laughs> no, no, it's just logical advice. It makes sense. It's just that we don't always obey that, do we, until it's too late. All right, so on that note, as we're winding down here, you know, you've shared your personal story, your son, his car accident, oh my gosh. You know, so you've been there. You know what it's like to be a mom who is not only busy keeping up with you know, our spouses, our kids, our homes, our, our our jobs, you know, all of these other things. But then you're dealing also with the heartbreak and 
and, and necessity and um, attention that's deserved of a child maybe with special needs or in a special circumstance like your, like your son, what advice do you have for moms and dads that are dealing with this situ- these situations um, and still need to keep themselves healthy so that they can help their children? It's so hard sometimes. So it was interesting. When I was in the ICU with Grant and he was in a coma and I had this virgin diet was getting ready to come out and I'm the financial support for the family so I mean I had to I had to get this book out and but I had to be there you know so it's like I had to be there 12 hours a day and I had to get this book out I was literally like doing interviews you know walking into a little office at UCLA at the hospital then coming back and sitting back in the ICU and what I knew right then was that the only way that I was going to be able to do what I needed to do for my son and my other son while I did this was to practice extreme self-care and that the most selfless thing we can do is take really good care of ourselves. And I think sometimes as the caregiver, we put ourselves last instead of putting us, ourselves first, which is where we need to be. Because you are no good right. to anybody else if you're not taking care of yourself first. And it, it does. It feels, right. especially as moms, we feel selfish. You know, I felt selfish. Someone actually sent me a massage while I was there, and I'm like, I'm not taking the time off to do a massage. And I yeah, what are you, crazy? Like, what? I should have yeah. totally done it. Like, I just felt like, oh, my gosh, no way, I'm not doing that. But, you know, I was running the hospital stairs. I was um, getting food, like going to Whole Foods. I was just doing everything I need to do to stay as healthy as possible. But I think, you know, we need to do that stuff. We need to go get the massage. We need to eat healthy. We need to take the time out to exercise for ourselves because we can't possibly function and do what we need to do if we don't. Well, yep. And on that note, you know, that is a perfect way to wrap up our podcast, which is already over. Thank you so much for joining us today. I could talk to you all day long. I really mean that. Um, You're just a wealth of information. Um, Everybody, JJ Virgin, get one of her four best-selling books. And thank you for joining us today. I hope it was uh, a great time for you. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Catch you next time.